Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. In our previous broadcasts, we have covered marital sexuality, we've covered sexual dysfunction, we've covered sexual addiction, we've covered drugs and sexuality. So if you want to hear more, go back. You can listen to recordings of previous broadcasts on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. But today, we're going to take a slightly different tack on all of this. We're going to look at the overall question on should sexuality be saved for marriage? Well, most of us would go, well, of course it should be. It's in the Bible, right? The reality is often we don't know how to give a really good answer to that. Okay, it says the marriage bed should be kept pure and we know that and that's about it. So today I'm going to go ahead and review whether you're married or whether you're single, are we called to save ourselves, to keep our sexuality for the marriage bed? So these are the kind of terms that get used nowadays or the kind of things that people do. You'll hear about it. These young adolescents or young college students, they'll purchase purity rings or they'll make promises to wait. They'll say, I'm saving sex for marriage. I don't want to give it away. They'll say things like, you know, I'm waiting for my spouse. So we have all kinds of different phrases. And so it's on our minds as a culture, especially as, of course, a Christian culture. What do the scriptures teach? And I think that's an important question. I actually had my own daughter called me. She was in Africa working at an orphanage. And I'm going to read to you what her text to me was. She said, hey, can you answer this question for me biblically? Why should you save sex for marriage? And why can't it be expressed before instead of waiting till after? Thanks. You're the best. That's how she finished it. <laughs> you know, and I really appreciated her question, but I did have this like, um, gee, I, why is she asking this question all the way in Africa in this whole other country? Is she asking this for herself or is she asking it for someone else? So I texted her back saying, so who's this question for? And she replied with a haha that it was some girls that she was with there at the orphanage. They had some questions about that and she wanted to be able to give them a good answer. So it was really her way of reaching out to them and having that very vulnerable, blunt conversation. And so Number one, it was kind of funny, right, to just back and forth electronically have this texting. But the other piece was that it made me realize I don't want to just answer her with a trite answer. Well, of course, the scriptures teach that. Here's the scripture in Hebrews 13, which is a great scripture. But how do I answer that and fully explain it so that especially for those who go, well, why can't you have sex? What's wrong with having sex before marriage? I mean, if you love each other. I had a conversation with my own mother. I had been in a relationship before. I'm, my husband's name is Tim, but years before I met him, I was in another relationship, and it was an engaged relationship. And we did some things that I didn't feel quite matched the boundaries of what the Bible teaches about purity. And in the midst of everything going on, we ended up not getting married. And I, 
I was sharing with my mother about how I, you know, these are some things that occurred between us. And my own mother said, oh, honey, you were engaged. You know, (laughs) there's so many different views on what you should be saving and what you should be doing before you actually are in that marriage bed. And so I do think we need to take some time to thoroughly examine the scriptures so that our Our convictions aren't just based on, well, I've always heard this. They're instead based on what I really know that the scriptures teach. For those of you listening, I'm going to go into what the Bible does teach about saving sex for marriage. But most of you listening may not have done that. You may have engaged in sexuality either outside of your marriage or you may have engaged in sexuality before you got married. You may have had quite a past engaging sexually. I do want to remind you of something. This scripture that I'm going to read is Psalm 25, 6 through 7. And it says, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. Remember not the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. So as you listen to this, if you are If you're a follower of Jesus, you are in obedience to him. You have repented of your background and the things I'm about to share could bring up a lot of guilt and so on. Remember, we have a forgiving God who washes us clean of all of our mistakes. My husband, when we did our premarital counseling, he shared with me his sexual past and I definitely knew he, as a follower and disciple of Jesus, had been washed clean. So my first time having sex was actually on our honeymoon. Who was cleaner than the other? No, before God, we were had both been made pure. So remember, when we follow God, he purifies us continually, not just from the past, but he can purifies us today. And I personally am super grateful for that. So just remember, John 5, 16 says, come into the light and confess your sins. So if there are things that you're involved in that you need to come into the light about, do that. Remember that we are washed in his blood at baptism. First Peter 3, 21, Acts 22, 16. Remember that his blood cleanses us of all sins. First John 1, verse 7. And that he makes us pure and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. First John 1, 10. Remember that as we're about to go into what does the Bible teach about sex before marriage? premarital sexuality, because I am going to start off with a pretty blunt verse, and I'm going to explain why I'm I'm starting out with it. This is in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 through 24. It says, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. If you wonder what God's view is on premarital sex, that scripture will answer you right there. God makes it very clear that there are consequences to engaging in premarital sexuality. Now, continue in that big book called the Bible and turn to John 8. We've heard in Deuteronomy, God give the law. He has stated it clearly. Now, we're going to watch God live on stage. 
So you know how we do the whole Saturday night live. This is God in John 8 live. So this is God live. And the, we've just seen what he said in Deuteronomy. Now let's watch him. Chapter 8, verse 3 through 6. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Okay, this is what's kind of funny. The creator of the law, these teachers of the law are coming to that creator of the law and reminding him of that law. Now, of course, they don't realize that's who they're talking to, but they are. They're coming to him and they're saying, this is the law. And then watch what that creator of the law did. He then says, if you're without a, if you are without sin, throw the first stone and they all end up leaving. Right. And then he says to the woman, is anyone condemning you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Leave, go, leave your life of sin. The creator of the law then acts out his response to that law. Not only in that moment, but that he took the punishment for that law. We see it in Deuteronomy. So he took the punishment. He died. He washed away the punishment for our sins. And then he says to that woman, now leave your life of sin. So this is the law acted out. God is a God of law and mercy. He is a God of grace and truth. There's no question that the scriptures support that we are not to engage in sex before marriage. And there's no question that there are consequences if we do. What's amazing is that we have the very one who wrote the law says, I will make provision for those who break the law so that they can still be with me and that they can still have a pure life. So, gosh, doesn't that just open up our eyes to how amazing and merciful and gracious God is? Neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. He doesn't just say, I forgive you. <laughs> he says to her, now you need to stop. Don't do it anymore. Thank goodness we have a God who created us, who knows what's best for us and still says, I love you, but you need to stop. You know, now we can come to Hebrews 13, where it says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Okay. That word pure, I'm not going to go into it today, but if you go into the text called Redeemed Sexuality, you can go get that on Amazon. It's another book by my husband and myself. It's called Redeemed Sexuality. We have a whole chapter on purity. So you can go and look up what that word means right there. It's, a, it's an amazing word with all kinds of lovely meanings. And the word honored, what does honored mean? We'll go into that on another day. But God does call us, to keep the marriage bed honored and to keep the marriage bed pure, marriage and marriage bed. So it's important to see how blunt the scriptures are. Look, it's interesting what they say here. He says, keep the marriage bed pure. And then he even says, honor marriage. This is in the New Living Translation. Remain faithful to the one in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Notice what he says here. He separates immorality 
from adultery. So if you're wondering, does the Bible actually teach that we shouldn't be having sex? He shows you right here. These are two separate words. One word is having sex with someone while you're married, someone other than your spouse while you're married. That's adultery. The other word, he says, that also causes an impurity of the marriage bed, a defiling of the marriage bed is immorality. That's all the other forms of sexuality other than adultery. Because sometimes what people will say is, well, yeah, we're not supposed to sleep with someone else if we're in a committed relationship. That would be wrong. No, that is not what the scriptures actually teach. The scriptures do teach that being unfaithful to your partner is adultery. But sexual immorality means all the other forms of sex that happen outside of marriage. And he makes it really clear, very helpfully clear there in Hebrews 13. Jesus does this even more clearly. You look in Matthew 5, 28. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you don't even have to be married to commit adultery. <laughs> we think, well, adultery is just when you're already married. No, Jesus says, if you even look at someone, and you have a lustful thought, it's the same as committing adultery. So it's just important that we get our definitions. The world's definition is, if you love somebody, then it's all okay, because God is a God of love. And so if you love them and engage sexually, then it's okay. But that's actually not supported by the scriptures. You can believe that, you just can't believe that and say that you're following the Bible. So definitely, you know, we hear over and over, Genesis 2.24, says that we become one flesh. Paul brings it up again in Corinthians that we become one flesh and that that one flesh relationship is supposed to happen in marriage. Well, Paul brings up in Corinthians how individuals were having sex with prostitutes and he then uses the word, the terms one flesh, that they were becoming one flesh with a prostitute. Well, how is that possible, right? That's that one flesh relationship is supposed to be in marriage. So sex with a prostitute, it's not the same. God makes it very clear that actually something occurs and I know we can't see it and it sounds kind of crazy, but it is in the scriptures that there is, you are making a one flesh commitment, whether you love somebody or you paid them for sex. It's super clear scripturally that God says that one flesh thing is only supposed to happen in the marriage bed. Sex does unite us and it does join our bodies. So if you want to look that up, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 17. Whether or not you're married or single, whether or not you love them or you paid for the sex, it is still sex outside of marriage, and it is not within God's plan. Let me point something out here, though. In Hebrews 13, it uses the word, depending on the translation, um, keep the marriage bed pure. It also says keep it undefiled. I do want to emphasize that when we engage in something sexually outside of that marriage bed, it defiles the bed. Often what people feel, and you may be feeling this as you're listening right now, that it means you are a defiled person. God, when he cleanses us, sees us as completely pure, white, and cleansed. The marriage bed is what's defiled. It has been made impure, and God calls us to repent, just like he says to that woman, go leave your life of sin. It's just important that when people use these scriptures in Hebrews 13 and others, Often it'll become a message to themselves that they're no good, they have been used up, they are dirty, 
they might as well give up. They will never be clean again. That is not actually what that scripture is teaching. We can actually reclaim the purity of the marriage bed when we decide to live a life of purity, both as a single and as a married individual. So we're going to talk about this some more, but let me just let you know what you're listening to. So this is today's broadcast. And if you're listening to this on Saturday, then you're listening to it here in San Diego on Kbright. You may wonder, where are the rest of the, I, will, I want to listen to the stuff she's talking about that she's already talked on. You can do that. You can go on to my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage, and you can listen to previous podcasts. You can also go ahead and purchase my book. You can go on to Amazon and do that, The Art of Intimate Marriage. Also, our second book called Redeemed Sexuality and the Marriage Communication Cards are all available on Amazon. We do encourage people. Let me just tell you something about our cards, which I'll do a whole section just on the cards sometime here. People ask me why, because they they aren't cheap. Why get them? It's funny, when I work with couples, those cards are some of the basic tools that help them come out of some of the challenges they're having. It really comes down to it causes people to start communicating about things on a daily basis. For only I tell people only do them for five minutes. And they start off with, if you're going to ever think about purchasing them, they start off with how to just communicate about your overall intimate relationship, just your relationship. Then they go into how to communicate about touch and about sensual touch. And then the last two decks go into communicating about sex. I do have to tell you that there aren't anything out there like these. (laughs) So go get them if you think it would be helpful to your marriage. And if you have any questions, send them to my my own email, jenniferconson at yahoo.com. Also on the website, The Art of Intimate Marriage, there's a lot of links, there's a blog, there's a lot of resources. Also, this is a listener-supported ministry. Um, You can find a link on the website to support this ministry. If it's been helping you, if you want it to continue helping others, go ahead and help us out there. All right, so let's continue. What are, we've been talking about, does the Bible actually teach that you need to save sex for marriage. Well, let's look at some of the scriptures on engaged people. Paul addresses it. It's really helpful. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 36. And he says, Paul says here, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, well, then he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. (laughs) Right before this, if you put this in context, Paul is saying, everybody should be like me. Because Paul was not married, at least at this juncture. Um, From what we can tell, he was never, but we're not quite sure. But bottom line, Paul is not married when he's writing this. And he's saying, I think that's a good idea. Stay unmarried. And then after this, he says, but if you're in a relationship with somebody and you start to, and the term he uses here is if he's acting, if he is not acting honorably, it's actually the same word that's used in Hebrews 13. So if honoring is not happened um, if, if, if proper conduct between them is not happening, then Paul says, maybe you should think about getting married. Um, if you, if he, he says it later, he says, if you're burning for one another, maybe you should get married. So the place for 
those actions, those sexual actions, and for the burning that he talks about there later in the passage, he tells you that the place for those to occur is not while you're engaged. It's while you're married. So if you want more assurance that sex is supposed to happen in the marriage bed, there's one. He even tells people who are engaged, if you start acting dishonorably, get married. Now, obviously, for some of you, you might begin acting in ways sexually that are not within God's plan. And you do need to examine what's behind that. I highly encourage. It may be because you yourself are not in good control of your sexuality. If you're involved in things sexually that are making it hard for you to remain pure, you need to look at that. It may not be that you need to go get married. It may be that you need to actually strengthen your own purity. So check that. It's not a, oh, we're struggling. Let's go run and get married. It's, oh, we're struggling. We need to look at why that is. Are there things that you're doing that are actually just awakening love before you should. Again, this is straight out of the, uh, go ahead and read some more in our purity and holiness chapter in the book, Redeemed Sexuality, where we talk about awakening love too soon. If you're awakening love too soon, that's going to cause you to burn for one another, even when you're engaged. And so you may want to consider, um, you know, where's your own purity. However, I do recommend my husband and I, I'll give you a very personal story. He asked me to marry him at Christmas time. Excuse me. Sorry. He asked me to date him at Christmas time on Valentine's. Uh, what? That's six, eight weeks later. He asked me to marry him. And then we got married on May Day. So, you know, four months that we had to remain pure. And so we did. Our first kiss actually was our wedding. I think it's great if people decide to do that. However, if you're engaged to be married, I do highly recommend keep your engagements short, please. And then remember that the place to act on that burn is marriage. I love Proverbs 5, 19. Um, it talks about uh, um, a, a man enjoying his wife's breasts. And then it says, may you ever be intoxicated with her love. So Yes, sex is very intoxicating, and it does create a burning and an enjoyment that's highly enjoyable. God wants us to enjoy it. He just has a place for it, and that is within the marital sexual relationship. So one of the things to really consider is ask yourself, what is your idea of what a relationship should look like premaritally? I call it a blueprint. What's your blueprint? Um, when you build a building, you build it according to the plans that an architect already built. And so you need to check what your plans are. And this is what's important. There are things that you're probably already doing and thinking and engaging in that will cause what's on your blueprint. So I always use this example because I don't know, I just think it's I'm dating myself here. But uh, the movie Titanic, there is this scene where they engage in this really romantic, erotic, beautiful, touching scene, and they're in a carriage on the boat, and it's it's a beautiful, lovely scene, and it gets the heart rate going, and most women have watched it, most people have watched it, and we think, oh, that's how it's supposed to look. Oh, wait a minute, they're not married. And so that's our blueprint. That's how sex is supposed to look. And the only example we have of it is of this non-married couple. So we need to check our blueprint. 
what are we basing what sex is supposed to look like? Are we basing it on social media? Are we basing it on TV shows? Are we basing it on movies? Yes, sex is wonderful and intoxicating and burning. And uh, it's a, I could give you all kinds of different, in the past I have, and you can go listen to other uh, broadcasts that I explain all the words that the Bible uses to describe sex. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. (laughs) But the movies make it out to look like that the only place that happens is before people get married. Because where does sex happen? It happens on the first date and it happens premaritally in almost every movie and show out there. That is what it is supposed to look like and can look like in the marriage bed. So be aware of what's affecting your view of what sexuality should be like. Um, uh, they did a, a, a research, a poll for Christian students in college, and they asked them why. For those who were waiting to have sex, they asked them why. And then they wrote out the list. The reason why... In fact, the reason that because for God is why was on the seventh on the list for women and ninth on the list for men. The reasons they gave for why they weren't engaging sexually were physical, like um, their body. I didn't find their body desirable or they, you know, they weren't as beautiful or I wasn't really attracted or their emotional like we, you know, the communication wasn't there or, um, you know, they, they didn't really lift my spirits like I was hoping or, um, so on and so on and so on. Right. They're physical, they're emotional. In fact, let me read to you the exact wording on why this was a secular study that was done. So this was not Christians, but listen to the reasons why they did engage. These are their exact words. The person had beautiful eyes, a desirable body. They were too attractive to resist. Emotional. I, I, we, I, wa- I was wanting to communicate on a deeper level. So then they engaged sexually. It lifted my partner's spirits. So therefore they engaged sexually. Or they had a goal that they wanted to attain. They wanted to retaliate on a partner or they wanted to be popular or because there was a bet or because they were insecure. It was my duty and it made me feel better, my self-esteem. So the reason why people give to not have sex and the reasons they give for why they're having sex, God's not even involved in that picture. So we have to make sure that the reasons we're saying no to sexuality is because God is so awesome that we trust him. We trust that God has our best in mind. So I want to leave you today with a thought. This is just a final for those of you wondering how much to engage in. Do you know the scripture on do not let an unwholesome talk come out of your mouths? Let me just read it to you a slightly different slant. Do not let any unwholesome touch come from your hands, but only the kind of touch that is helpful for building your boyfriend or girlfriend up according to their needs, that it may benefit those you touch. Ephesians 4.29 with a slightly different twist. I leave you with that. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzen with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Conzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferconzen at yahoo.com. Conzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferconzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you. And if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. 
to give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Condon's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.